the river to the one I love. Oh, fare thee well, my honey, fare thee well. I had a man, strong and tall. He moved his body. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reservations. We are your hosts. I'm Rain Whalen. Hey, Rain, what's going on? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm Jeremy. Um, <laughs> what's up, bud? Are you are you are you being uh, soft spoken? Like being very soft spoken? Yeah, we can get really soft spoken. I don't think they can hear you. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, try not to yell. Um, yeah. I feel like people wouldn't like that. Yeah. Well. Um, Welcome back, everyone. Uh, sorry if I sound a little tired. I just uh, recently started my new job. Well, I wouldn't say new job. But I'd say temporary job until I get my real job back. Um, and it's as a stalker at our local Market Street. And uh, I will say in the two days I've been there, I do have more of an appreciation for people who work in grocery stores. Yeah, my dad used to be one of those people. Because that shit's hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's easy, but it's hard. No, like, it's you, hard. You just take the cart. It has the product on it. You go and you put the product on the floor. That's it. That's all I do. But having to move all those heavy fucking boxes mm-hmm. and pull those heavy carts, dude, it's it's good news is at least I'm technically working out for free since all the, you know, all the gyms are closed. That is correct. Were you no. getting a lot of gym time in no. before all this? No? No. Oh, okay. Luckily, Crunch Fitness uh, suspended our payments. Oh, that's good. I know. I'd be so livid if they were still like, yeah, even though you're not coming, 60 bucks. Yeah. Um, but we hope everyone uh, also had a good Easter, because by the time this yes, comes out. Yes, by the time this comes out, it will be Easter. I mean, Easter, technically for us, is tomorrow, but when you're listening, Easter. Right, for us, it's the few, for, for you. <laughs> For us, it's the future. Jesus Christ. Um, Has all this talk of the Flash and time travel yes, dude, fucked you like, up? Okay, full disclosure, guys. Before we started recording, he was talking me through the television series of The Flash and Arrow. And the 2016 Supergirl, show. And not- all, of, all of this interconnectingness. And, and, and he's fried my brain. Of all this stuff, I don't care about. It's anyway, not hard. It's not hard. Uh, you just watch the show. It sounds so confusing and dumb, nerdy. Wow. Well, well, what do you well, do? Anyway, um, but yeah. Uh, so I'm really excited to talk about this movie That's because very good. this is a movie that I've wanted to see since I saw the trailer, and I think kind of like yourself, it's the only time I've seen a trailer for a movie once. Um, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, I have to see this movie. Mm-hmm. Um. And it only took seven years to finally watch it. Yep. But uh, but yeah, I I um, I loved it through and through. Good. It is not a comedy. No. At all. No. Everywhere I read, it was like, yeah, the dark comedy, and I'm like, it is not a dark comedy. Um, and we'll <laughs> we'll get into it why. Um, but I mean, I love Joel and Ethan Cohen. They, I know you said it, but to me. They can't make a bad movie. Yeah, they can. And they have. Uh, Burn After Reading's one of them. Uh, that was theirs? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I could keep going. But let's let's not think, spoil this with... I with think Burn After speech. Reading was just convoluted. You like, mean bad? I agree. Um, but, hey, no, Rain, we I, should probably tell them what movie we're talking about. We were talking about Inside Lewin Davis. Very exciting. Yeah. 
I uh, yeah, it, it is it is strife with as I told you what I was going to refer to it as cameos. Yeah, because Oscar Isaac is the, in my opinion, the only main character. <laughs> like yeah. everyone else who shows up in the movie is in it for like one scene. That's it. It's very episodic. Yes. Right. Uh, yeah, because you know you told me Adam Driver was in it. And then when I got got to the part, I was like, oh, hey, there's Adam Driver. And then he was gone. Yeah. We don't don't see him again. Okay. Same with Justin Timberlake. Mm -hmm. Um, John Goodman, who I didn't know was in it until I was like, it's a Coen Brothers movie. I was like, that's John Goodman right there. Yeah. Um, The guy who was in the new Tron movie, I don't know his name. Mm -hmm. He plays Johnny Five. Johnny Five. Yeah. Who, he's got the best name ever. Dude, he's the coolest guy in the world. So when I saw this for the first time, um... I was living in San Marcos at the time, and I was home for something. It must have been a holiday or whatever. And uh, Kale and I went to R.I.P. Went to Hastings uh, to go rent. Uh, but but then we got Hastings 2.0. Yeah, we we, we we do, but some people don't. So um, that's true. Lubbock definitely doesn't. No, but uh, <laughs> so anyway, we I, I I was trying to find some movies to watch and. Um, and so I rented on the road the adaptation of the Jack Kerouac novel. Oh, with Joel Egerton? No, that's not Joel Egerton. That's uh, I'm thinking about another movie. Who's in on the road? Kristen Stewart's in on the road. Shh, let's say yes. I I'm think I'm confusing the two. Okay. Two movies. And anyway, Inside Lewin Davis. And so I don't remember which one we watched first, uh, but Inside Lewin Davis was definitely the the standout. Right. right. Not, not that On the Road was a bad movie. It wasn't. It was pretty good. But, I mean, Inside Lewin Davis just knocked it out of the park, man. And oh, yeah. It, for, for even though it's, you know, Joel and Ethan consider it a comedy, it's still a fantastic movie. I think, you know, it's it's got their signature writing, mm-hmm. you know, very dialogue heavy. But I think that they did something a little different um, where it's also very quiet. Mm-hmm. For what this movie is, it's very, even though like he's in New York and then he's in Chicago, it's very quiet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I I like that. It's it's not in your face. Yeah, we get to we get to sit with his suffering, which is uh, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> nothing goes right for Lewin Davis. No, nothing, not at all. Uh, yeah, and it and it and it's all and it all starts with with the the end of his week which as I learned the movie begins with his ending which I made it sound like he dies at the end of the movie the movie takes place over the span of one week of his life and the movie begins with the end of his week and then we Tarantino it and take you back to the beginning <laughs> yeah it is it is <laughs> very slightly non-linear right yeah um but would you like me to give you a quick synopsis? Do it. All right. So, Lewin Davis is a folk singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1961. In the, I don't know, in the village, I guess. Uh, of, yeah. Yeah, because they say it a of lot. New York City. Uh, this is when folk music was at its peak. Uh, this is where Bob Dylan got his start. This is where, like, Patti Smith and all these people started. Um, James Taylor. Mm-hmm. So when folk music was at its highest, that's where this takes place, which makes sense because our focal point is folk music. Yes. And Lewin is trying to get by. This is the this is the premise of the movie. Lewin 
is just <laughs> trying to make it. Um, whether that be just to the next day, to the next meal, to the next spot he can sleep, that's what Lewin is trying to do. It's just Lewin trying to survive, right? Yes. So we learn that Lewin does not have a house. Uh, Lewin does not have any money. Lewin does not have a coat, and it is the dead of winter, uh, New York City. Um, he has unfortunately gotten another girl pregnant. Uh, this one, of course, being Jean of Jim and Jean. Carrie Mulligan and JT. JT. Justin Timberlake, not Justin. James Taylor. JT. And, it's, and of course, she's not a good person either. We find that out later. Yes. Um, no one is it really. I mean, besides Justin Timberlake, maybe. Yeah. And that poor woman at the very end who he heckles. Yeah. Um, we really don't know who's a good person, right? Yeah. I mean, Johnny Five's not a good person. John Goodman's definitely not a good person. No. Um, even though John Goodman had some of my favorite monologues. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, anyway, so. Anyway. He is playing at the Gaslight. Which, again, it was a very popular bar that folk singers would go and play. Um, again, Bob Dylan being a very famous one. And a little shout-out to the little Bob Dylan at the end of the movie. Mm. who goes on after Lewin, uh, which is fun. Um, anyway, so plays the gaslight. He's still trying to make it. He is going to his... Um, Mel, right, is his agent? Uh, I think it's his... Record company. Okay. Well, Mel, Mel's record company. <laughs> and, and him and either his wife or his secretary, whoever that is, are hilarious. Oh, yeah. Um, their back and forth is very funny because they're both so old and so disorganized. Where's Cincinnati? What? Cincinnati's on my desk. <laughs> yeah. I want bring it. it. Do you want it? Bring it. <laughs> yeah. That, bring, that was... I'll bring it to you. Okay. <laughs> You know? That was really good. And then Mel, and then Lewin's trying to talk to Mel, and he's like, uh, uh-huh. Uh, Mel, yeah, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that, that was really... Barry Cohen, right? Barry Cohen Brothers. Yeah. Right? Um, and so he gets a very small job, um, I guess accompanying Al Cody and Justin Timberlake's character, Jim, on the song... That is my least favorite song on the soundtrack, by the way. Uh, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like a folk song to me, right? It's too... Upbeat? Yeah, I guess. And uh, very topical for the time, but, you know, again, not... (laughs) And and it's really silly because, you know, Al Cody is doing these, you know, acapella-like things with his voice and whatever. It's very silly. So anyway, um, he makes the wrong decision because he really needs the money and he takes the down payment, not the royalties. Yeah, because he, he needs to pay for Gene's abortion. Yes, he does need to pay for Gene's abortion. Um, not the first abortion he's paid for, and probably won't be the last. last. Yeah. yeah, yeah. foregoes the royalties. Now, again, this is very episodic, and so, I mean, we can call these little scenes episodes of just Lewin's week, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, going to the abortion doctor to pay for Gene's abortion, finding out that the last person he had paid for two years ago didn't go through with it, and so no charge, right? Uh, like Which, at, at first I was like, what, like it's a punch card or something? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a, a really cool looking punch card. I mean, I uh, I was also trying to figure it out, what the doctor meant. Like, oh, no charge. I was like, okay, maybe he just feels bad for this guy because he keeps knocking chicks up. 
But yeah. then, and then it clicked He's with me. He's a frequent me. flyer, but... But then it clicked with me. I was like, oh, she didn't go through with it. Right, Nave and Akron. And then, I know we'll get more into it, but I do love seeing Lewin finally figure it out. Yes. Because he's still like... What, what yeah, do you mean Oscar no Isaac gives an amazing performance in this movie. Yes. And he's also a very talented singer and guitarist, right? Uh, didn't didn't he learn how to play the guitar for the role? He already knew how to play the guitar. Oh, you already knew? Okay. So, anyway. he's very, again, he's a very accomplished singer and a very accomplished guitarist. And he tried his damnedest to make X-Men Apocalypse good. <laughs> You have to give... Yeah, I'll give it that movie that much credit. Oscar Isaac tried so hard. I forgot it was in that movie because that movie's bad. So anyway. It is bad. So... Anyway. He gets that job. He, you know, gets paid. Goes to the abortion doctor. Whatever, right? No charge. No charge. Uh, crashes with Al Cody. And Al Cody mentions to him that, hey man, these people are going to go to Chicago in my car uh, and they need someone to help pay for gas and or maybe it wasn't his car I don't know his car was and um, and he's saying I can't go if you want there's a seat for you and uh, he goes alright because he can go see Bud Grossman yeah Bud Grossman is this you know world star folk uh, producer record label whatever mm-hmm. right and so now we have a new goal. The goal is to go see Bud and get signed, right? Right. But unfortunately, we have to get there. And so the another episode is them driving... To Chicago. With John Goodman. And John Goodman is the, I don't know, rudest person in the world. <laughs> so yeah. Even when confronted with Lewin's former musical partner's suicide... He tends to make that super rude also. No. Um, saying that it was stupid for him to jump off the George Washington Bridge. He should have done it off the Brooklyn Bridge. Your, your, your friend's an idiot. Yeah. That, <laughs> and, um, you know, so that's John Goodman's character, right? Yeah. Um, they, they stop all the time, and we find out why they have to keep stopping. It's because he's he a heroin, heroin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and which I love, I love that bathroom scene because uh, it's very Kubrick how they shot the bathroom scene, mm. um, where we find out that he is OD'd on. <laughs> yeah, when Lewin's trying to do his business, they just hear something fall over. Oh, and it's John Goodman seizing on the floor, OD'ing on that heroin. And and I love Johnny Five's reaction, like what What do we do? Should we call the police? And he takes a cigarette out and flicks it. No, he's all right. <laughs> Grab his sticks. Let's go. <laughs> Johnny Five is the coolest person in the world. No. Uh, nothing bothers him. Um, nothing phases him. And he's also not a chatty person, you would say. And uh, apparently a slam poet as well. It is one of the few words we hear him say is, he's fine. Grab his sticks. <laughs> no. He's also a liar uh, because he, uh, <laughs> or maybe he just hates Lewin. Because Lewin's like, can I bomb a cigarette? Goes, I'm out. And then immediately we see him lighting light one up. Light up a new cigarette, right? I mean, it, what an asshole. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> he's the coolest person in the movie, so. Uh. Yeah. With the with that Elvis Presley hair. So cool. And that jacket's so cool. And he's cool. And <laughs> yeah, and he, he smokes the cigarettes right down to the butt. And then. He is in On the Road, by the way. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I can't think of his name. That was the that was the connection Kale and I made. Like, hey, we just saw that guy, you know? Yeah. Then you got to. Ha- then you had to watch Tron Legacy, and then yeah. No, had- we didn't do that. We just saw those two movies. Um, I've never seen Tron Legacy, and I never will. So, disgrace. We make it finally. Oh my god, 
to Chicago after he abandons the car with John Goodman and the cat in it. We didn't mention the cat. I'm sorry. There's a we'll cat. Get Shut up. We'll so, get <laughs> I know there's a lot in this movie because of the episodic nature of it, right? Yeah. I mean, there's so much to talk about. Anyway, so Johnny Five gets arrested. We leave John Goodman in his, I don't know, probably dead state in the back of the car. He hitches to Chicago and finally gets in front of Grossman, Mm -hmm. who is played by F. Murray Abraham. The Uh, best. So good. I love F. Murray Abraham. I know you do, too, because we love Amadeus, right? Yes. Uh, I don't don't know if I've ever told you this, but I tried to show Ashley that movie. Because I watched three-hour-long director's cut. Of course. The way you're supposed to. Yeah. And um, we're watching it, and she's kind of... She's like, oh, okay, all right. And... Then we get to the one line when... Oh, I remember this. You Mozart... Tell, yeah, you had uh, mentioned this. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on an episode. I'm sure I have. But we'll go ahead and just retell it. Uh, Mozart meets his soon-to-be wife in the movie. And he's playing a game with her. And... But she won't play along. And he's like, why won't you? And she's like, because that's stupid. And according to my wife, in the 15th, 14th, whenever Mozart was alive, 1400s, let's just say that, uh, they would have not said stupid. And after that, she refused to watch the rest of the movie. Well, they also would have been speaking German and Italian and French, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, Anyway. Right. So. F. Murray Abraham. The best. Every Abraham, fantastic. Um, asks Lewin uh, to play him a song. From his solo album. Because Mel never gave him the, the record that Lewin said that he had sent. And he plays Death of Queen Jane. Um, amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all of Lewin's stuff, actually all of the music besides one were done live. Um, were recorded live. So, um, meaning... They didn't lip sync. They were actually singing and playing on camera. Right. Right. Uh, the only exception was the old triangle guys, the the puffy white sweater guys. Oh, the the the, the sweater they, they, game. Yeah, they had to lip sync um, to get the harmonies, I guess, right or whatever. Right. So, plays death of Queen Jane. F. Murray Abraham says, "Don't see a lot of money here. You should get a partner." Uh, well, you know, he said. Um, I have a group that you should join. It's like a Peter, Paul, and Mary sort of a thing. But you'll have to shave your beard down to a goatee. And, you, and it's like, are you good with harmonies? No. He goes, well, I am, but no, fuck you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Basically, you yeah. know. Um, and I will say, he takes the, the rejection very well. Lewin, Lewin's good at accepting horrible things happening to him. Right? Yeah. Because he's so used to it. Right? Yeah. Especially at this point. At this point, we're almost done. So, he's decided to take his sister's advice and just quit and, and grab his semen papers, go join the Navy. Or rejoin the Navy. Right, rejoin. And so, tries to rejoin. They make him pay his dues because he was overdue on his dues. His dues. His uh, dues, dues. Dues, dues. And goes, uh, goes back to pick up the paperwork that he had told in a fit of rage <laughs> or in a fit of frustration. He told his sister to throw it all away. She actually did. He and, go, and he went back and was like, can I have my money back? They're like, no, fuck you. You can't have your money back. 
Yeah. And then he goes to visit his dad. And here we get another fantastic performance from Oscar Isaac, uh, where he plays the Shoals of Herring. Mm-hmm. And I just love how, when he's talking to the, the Navy people, they're always like, you, uh, you, 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 Davis kid? He goes, yeah, why not? <laughs> he's just so sick of hearing it. Um, yeah, I love it. Anyway, and, uh, you know, that relationship will never be mended. Um, and we're not sure if his dad is in his right mind or if he even recognizes Lewin or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I read something that they just referred to him as his ailing father. Mm-hmm. So something obviously is going on with yeah, his dad. Yeah, so we don't even know if he's even aware someone's in the room with him. Right. At all, right? Um, it was supposed to help out Lewin, but it really kind of didn't. Um, anyway, so then he gets a... Um, Jean gets him in the nicest thing she's ever done. Um, oh, yeah. Because she is really mean to Lewin. Rightfully so. Um, even even in that scene. Because yeah. he had forgotten when the actual abortion was. Right. And she's like, Jesus Christ, Lewin, it's next Saturday. He's like, oh, yeah. Well, because, I mean, in like us, we were like, God, was he gone? How long was he in Chicago? And it was just like a couple of days, right? No. Um, it was probably a day to get there, a day to get back, you know? Um, anyway, so she gets him a spot at the gaslight. He goes the night before in a fit of drunken rage, heckles a woman on stage, um, <laughs> uh, spends the night at the uh, Gore Finds again, and this uh, this morning that he wakes up mimics the one in the very beginning, even though it's a little different, and we'll get there. And... Plays the Gaslight, uh, plays two songs, Hang Me, Oh, Hang Me, and Fairly Well, slightly different from the one we heard in the beginning of the film, and meets the guy in the alley who says he's a buddy of his, turns out it's the husband of the woman he heckled the night before, beats the shit out of him, gets in a cab, goes away. Oscar Isaac says, au revoir, fade to black, we're done. Yeah. And that's Inside Lewin Days. So, um... Yada yada through a lot of it because we have a lot of stuff to get into. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, Rain. Oh, what do I want to ask first? Um, what did you think about the structure of the film? What did you think about the episodic nature of um, Inside Lewis? Well, Dead? I really liked it. You know, I, you know, I, I, like I said, I love the Coen brothers. You know, the dude watches over us as we record. <laughs> you know, I've got one of, in my opinion, one of the dopest steel books of the Big Lebowski. It's gold and it has a white Russian on it, but it looks like it's a bowling alley. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it's pretty tight. Um, so I love the Coen Brothers. So I loved that it was kind of this episodic format, which I know I've mentioned. You know, I love it when Tarantino does that. You know, um, Ashley and I just recently watched the full ex- director's cut of. Doctor Sleep and the mm, director's yeah. cut has the new title cards chapter this. Yes. You know? So I really, you know, I love I love it when when a film breaks its own structure and mm-hmm. really tries to because it makes the story feel much more in in a good way constrained and tight. Mm-hmm. So it's like this is how it's going to be. Yeah, it, it, and I've said it before that it makes the film seem less long. Yes. Yeah, you know, this is only an hour and 45, yeah, and it somewhere. felt... It actually, to me, it felt longer. Mm-hmm. And then when it was over, I was like, no, it's over. Uh-huh. Oh. 
Oh no! no. Um, but I love oh, it. Man. I loved it. Um, the one thing that did confuse me, and we kind of talked about it before we started recording, was the beginning and the end. Uh-huh. Um, because the beginning and the end are so similar. I was right. like, wait, and is this... You, the only time you realize they're different is when he manages to keep the cat in the apartment, right? Yes. Um, that's the only thing that uh, mimic, that is different from the two, right? Yes. Is in the first one, he lets the cat out. The second one, he he drop kicks it into the apartment, <laughs> right? Um, now, what I love is they kept the, um, the vintage-style apartments, meaning the doors really used to be that close to one another. We see it at Jim and Jean's, we see it at Al Cody's, yeah. and how narrow the hallways are and how close the doors are together. Yeah, it's the, so odd. Yeah, in the 60s, there was apparently no sense of claustrophobia. No. Um, I mean, it's like if you were to open those doors, they'd hit each other, right? Yeah. But I think they open in, but that's not that. I mean, just like... Uh, you're going to hate me because I don't remember who sang the song, but... Uh, uh, the song about like try to love one another right now. Oh so, boy, you know. So the the doors are closer together. Wow, that was uh, <laughs> that was a long walk for a short snack. Um, so, like I was saying, so the the vintage style I really liked because uh, I I had to Google it because I was like, no way, that's real, right? And it was. I mean, it was it was absolutely real. And and you know something else I love. And it's a very minor detail, but, man, everyone had a dope-ass vinyl collection, dog. Yeah. Uh, the Gorefines had, I mean, when when I saw the inside of their apartment, I was like, that's exactly what I want. Yeah. Just shelves and rows of records. Yeah. Um, Jim and Jean's was a little bit more smaller just because they have a smaller apartment. She's too busy banging dudes to do yeah, vinyls. So. which we'll, we'll get more into. Yeah. But, yeah. Carrie Mulligan's... <laughs> you know, Justin's over here crying me a river. Oh boy! And I have to say, I love that they gave him. Well, I'm sure it was really his facial hair, but he shaved his facial hair very of the time. Yeah, yeah. Kept it on his uh, his sideburns and chin, and then then had it really close to his upper lip. So yeah. he has nothing in between. Yeah, it, it sort of um, mirrored Lewin's. Lewin's is also like that, right? Well, but Lewin's is. But it's connected to his mustache. That's correct. As where Justin's is disconnected. Like, ah. he has his mustache and then... It, I guess I didn't notice. Nah. I, I noticed details like that, you know. Oh, Jesus. It's also because I just recently had watched uh, Justin on Hot Ones, so I was already in a Justin Timberlake mood. I see. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, you know, everyone just had a dope-ass vinyl collection, dog. Yeah. Um, and I and I really like that they also made the records, the record, the album covers really look like they were from the time as well. Yes, especially uh, Lewin's solo stuff. Um, it mimics. Hang on, I wrote it down. Um, inside Dave Van Ronk, uh, Ronk, yeah. Um, now the movie's not based on his life, right? But yeah, it was inspired. Well, I mean. The the look of the album definitely was the obviously the title of the movie was, um, and of course the fact that it's folk music, right? Yeah. Um, but I mean, other than that, I mean, they they couldn't be any different. But well, uh, and and speaking of Dave Van Ronk, um, uh, fare thee well, because mm-hmm. I'd heard that song 
in a season of Supernatural. Yes, God uh, plays Chuck. No, it's Chuck. Jesus. I mean, yes, he's God, but Chuck sings it. Uh, <laughs> and then when I got the soundtrack to Inside Llewyn Davis, and they had two different versions of there on it, I was like, I was like, huh, I wonder who sings this. And so Ashley asked me because Ashley was half paying attention. Um, <laughs> So, like, she, she started paying attention when John Goodman showed up. And so she's like, so who's John Goodman in all this? I'm like... We kind of don't know either. I'm like, we don't... <laughs> you know? No, he's just there. Yeah. He's, he's just John Goodman. But she's like, who sings this song? So I looked it up, and apparently no one knows where this song came from. Well, you know, if it was never new and never gets old, that's a folk song. That's so. true. But uh, apparently Dave Van Ronk did a rendition of it. Yeah, and uh, on the... On the soundtrack, they have his version of Green Green Rocky Road, mm. um, which is great. I think he's great. Um, I'm a huge fan of folk music, which is why I think this movie really resonates with me. And also, I love music films. And so, not to be confused with the music goal. Yeah, which is a cool. Right. Because yeah. a music film, all of the music is diegetic, right? It um, the, the music is a character. The music is is a part of the narrative. Right. Meaning all of the characters can hear it, all of the characters know what's happening, and it's usually not so surreal, right? Right. Like in a musical where it a lot of it's non-diegetic or it's... You know, a character breaks into song and none of the other characters know... Right, or notice or they, anything like that, right? It's ridiculous. You could assume that, well, they're just seeing them sitting there as well. Right. But in that character's head, I'm like, oh... It's treated as normal, right? Right. As normal behavior. Whereas this is actually, you know, someone on stage, someone singing, right? Um, um, another, like, another contemporary version of that would be almost famous or uh, a Star is Born. I've always wanted to um, sit and I've been really wanting to watch Almost Famous recently. Oh, it's amazing. Because uh, I love Jason Lee. And as we were just talking about him, uh, I love Billy Cudrup. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Manhattan right there. Dr. Manhattan. Uh also, he plays Henry Allen, Barry Allen's father in the DC universe. Jesus Christ. So he's Ezra Miller's Barry Allen. Jesus Christ. I'm As were the Flash's dad. I don't have time. It's John, West, uh, John Wesley Snip, who played you. the Flash in the 90s show. I, I hate you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Almost famous. Is unbelievable. Um, now, that is based on Cameron Crowe's... Uh, teenage years um, being okay. a writer for Rolling Stone magazine okay. and traveling yeah. the world with all of these uh, yeah I just recently bands. I've just been like I really want to watch that it's amazing um, now you know, now you're saying like that you love folk music I do um, you know I really didn't get into folk music till we were in high school mm-hmm. um, and this is my way to shoehorn this in uh, it was Mumford and Sons that got me oh. into it Okay, I, um. I'm not as mad that you... Now, that was an interesting time because um, I guess it's my turn to sidebar. I never really do that. But um, that's when all of these sort of alternative folk rock bands... Started. Yeah, because we had Monsters of Men, we had Lumineers, we had Mumford & Sons, we had uh, Civil War. We had all of these bands um, start at like, the same time. Yeah, right? um, there's one band I listened to called uh, um, Run River North. Mm-hmm. They really started on the same time as well. Isn't that amazing that all of these, all of these bands with the similar sound started at the same time? It's really, it's really kind of fascinating that that happened and that sort of. Well, and what's so interesting is, 
you know, during that time period, you know, 2012, well, 2010 to 2012, that was considered hipster music. Yeah. You know, like, I remember I was with a friend, and we were just driving around, and I was like, yeah, man, let's listen to hipster stuff, and I put on what I thought was hipster, and he was like, nah, this is hipster, and he put on Mumford and Sons, Mm -hmm. and I immediately fell in love with their sound, and now that I've gotten older and more appreciation for music, I've realized that folk music, especially now with the movie we're talking about, folk music's been around since... Forever. Ever. Yeah. It, it, I think it died out, and then it came back. Yes, I think this would be... So, 1961, 1962, um, New York... It was big. Would have been like this, right? Would have right. been like that just resurgence of folk music. But in, in this day and age, they had to put a little twist on it, which is that sort of alternative rock added into their folk music, right? Mm-hmm. Um, of you course... Know- Still keeping with the banjos and the kick drums and the, you know. Do you remember when um, uh, uh, Mumford & Sons did their third album and they decided to experiment and it was all electric guitars and people went fucking crazy? No, I don't remember that. Um, I think that's a very solid album. Mm-hmm. Um, their third album, I, um, even though I just said it's a solid album, I don't remember the title of the oh. album. But it's a very solid album. I think it's really good. I've always said... I like it when a band experiments. Did they still keep their arm guards and their and <laughs> and their string ties on? I don't know. Right. Uh, but I just know the entire album was recorded on electric guitars, not um, acoustic guitars and uh, the electric and acoustic guitars and stuff like that. And people went fucking crazy. They're like, "This, this isn't Mumford and Sons," and it's considered one of their worst albums. Mm. I don't think that. I think it. I think it stands alone. Uh, I haven't heard their new album, Delta, from start to finish, no, but it go, it's back to their original sound. I really I really like the their first one. I like the Lumineers' first album. I like Monsters of Men's first album. I like... So, yeah. um, anyway. So... Anyway, the reason why I shoehorn that in is because you know, but uh, Marcus, Marcus Mumford uh, has a... And also kind of a cameo. Yes, he... Just his voice. Yes, he is the voice of Mike Timlin. Um, Lewin's... Lewin's Right. Partner for, they were called Lewin and Timlin, right? Or Davis? It was like uh, Davis, uh, Timlin and Davis. Timlin and Davis, yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of like it's a play on Simon and Garfunkel. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and also another added little layer that Carrie Mulligan is Marcus's wife. Yes, yes, they. Um, Which makes me wonder if yeah. she got him the the gig. Yeah, it's you know I doubt it. I bet because T Bone Burnett did the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the film and he knows what he's doing so no. I bet you he's like we gotta get Marcus in here and it's just a coincidence his wife was one of the one of the, the cast members yeah yeah um so can I can we talk about how the movie really plays how Jean is 100% in her right to be mad at Lewin until the very end until the very end and then flips that on us sure yeah because we we find out um and this is the night before Lewin's final well, for the movie, the final performance, right? Mm. This is when he's going to heckle that poor woman. And the reason he's going to heckle that poor woman <laughs> is Poppy's going to give him some really weird uh, news, which is he's had sex with Jane. Yeah, because oh, cause in an earlier scene he says, 
you know, that gene. <laughs> or he's such a sleaze. Ball. I know. I know, man. <laughs> I love it was a name Bobby. like Poppy. I love Poppy. I think he's great. Yeah, I like his hair. But yeah, you know, and, and I think I think Lewin responded to it. Responded to it the way he did is because he, it does have feelings for Gene. He does. Um, but and, also, it's like you've been giving me shit this whole time. You know. Yeah. And it turns out she'll just like. Give it up for anybody. Yeah. So when so when he starts heckling that poor woman, oh, that poor woman. How'd you get the gig, Betty? Implying that she and uh, Poppy. Right. And he had he had asked Poppy. He's like her too, huh? And he's like, come on, man. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I just remember like yeah, I, I feel like Carrie Mulligan's character Jean's, in my opinion, a little too harsh. Like, but of course she was one hundred percent in her right. And then when we get to the very end and that reveal, I was like, oh, she actually has no room to say that Lewin is, she makes a point of calling him shit. Yeah. You're just shit. <laughs> uh, but then I'm like, wow, she has no room to talk. Yeah. She's, I mean, Carrie Mulligan is a, an actress that can really play really sweet and really mean and be able to switch Super quick because mm-hmm. even when she's singing uh, 500 miles up there, uh, she's really sweet, really sweet. Looks at Lewin, has this horrific look on her face, and yeah, then I love, I love it Lewin. immediately goes away, right? Mm, yeah, and I love it when the camera cuts to Lewin, and he's like, he's like what? 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 What do you want? Because <laughs> she's still so mad at him. Yeah. Um, what I love, and I love how she tells him, you know, she's writing on a piece of paper. Why? Because that guy's there. Yeah. Well, and see, and I figured it wasn't until we see what she wrote. I was like, oh, okay, maybe she's writing like, okay, this is how much you owe me. And then we see that, and I'm like, oh, she didn't want to say it. And <laughs> just Lewin's whole, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, Oscar, again, Oscar gives a phenomenal performance. Yeah, I think it's so strange that this was so well into his career, but this was the role that people were like, hey, we need to get this guy. Yeah, because uh, before he and Carey Mulligan played ex-lovers in Drive. Um, okay. Oof, I'm trying to remember the year. 11, maybe? I think. Um, you know, he had done a really big budget movie with Ridley Scott of Robin Hood. He had done A Most Violent Year uh, with Jessica Chastain, and I think Chiwetel Ejiofor was in that. Uh, which is fantastic. It's the guy who did uh, All Is Lost, Margin Call. Um, highly recommend A Most Violent Year. But it's just so crazy that he's done all these, I know you would disagree with Robin Hood, but these really big, in my opinion, great performance movies. Yeah. I think I thought he was great as Prince John and Robin Hood. I know mm-hmm. we had a little bit of discussion on that. But then it wasn't until he did this movie about a folk singer who just can't seem to catch a break where studios were like, hey, you know, even Disney was like, hey, we need him. It might be just because, you know, he not only gets to show his acting performance, but also his musicality as well. Because, you know, we get this sort of like, oh, wow, he's actually really good. You know, he's he's a lot like uh, his co-star, Justin Timberlake, in the sense where he can act, sing and play guitar. Yeah. Of course, Justin cannot can also do. Or things, right? On top of that, and but, I'm sure Oscar can too. You know, yeah. But you know, um, uh, it's yeah, it's it's just so crazy that this is 2013, and after this is when he starts getting like Ex Machina, Star Wars, 
X-Men. Um, he was also in Annihilation. Because I know, yeah. he was in Ex Machina, right? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. It was just, uh, when I told Ashley, she was like, really? I was like, yeah. Like, yeah, two, uh, two future Star Wars uh, people in Inside Lewin Davis, because we also have Adam Driver. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I wonder if they... Uh, I wonder if they showed, like talked about that like I'm sure it offset like hey remember when we were in that Joel and Ethan Coleman movie together <laughs> and they were like yeah you know yeah I remember that and when Adam Driver so I just want to talk about Adam Driver for a second um, we get to see how tall he is yeah oh god he's so tall um, but like <laughs> when when they're rehearsing the song please Mr. Kennedy and and Lewin is so clearly. Um, Annoyed by him during the rehearsal because he's, you know, show. <laughs> yeah, he's doing these acapella things with his voice and it's super obnoxious. <laughs> and they don't sound like they're going to do any good. But it does. I mean, it all fits in, obviously, with the song. Yeah. If you've heard the song, it's great. Um, it's not my favorite on the album. If you want to talk the yeah. soundtrack, definitely not. But it, I think it's more just a feel good song. I guess. Yeah. You know, and. Which kind of, I want to segue to how it bites him in the ass. Because mm-hmm. as we said, he sign, he signs, he doesn't sign over the right, the, the um, royalties. royalties, so which means he won't consistently be getting a paycheck. He'll just get an immediate advance, um, which technically signing for royalties would have been smarter, but he needed cash right now. Right. Um, because then at the end of the movie, it's revealed that the song is actually doing really well. It's gonna be a hit, yeah. And 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 the the um, the Golfins, the Golfines uh, friends are like, "Yeah, let's hope he gets some royalties on that." And just the look on his face is, yeah, he knows like, Fuck, I even up. even the catching the break and getting this job doesn't work out well, right? Yeah. Even when something goes his way, it doesn't go his way. No. Uh, it's unbelievable. Um, so do you want to talk about the cat? Um, yeah, we can talk about the cat. So the cat is, again, a little a little nod to Dave Van Ronk, uh, because on the album Inside Dave Van Ronk, there is a little uh, ginger cat on the front of the album. Okay. Um, and so <laughs> it's the Gorefine cat. He wakes up in the house. He's getting ready. He's about to leave. And as he's about to close the door... The cat jumps out, and the door closes and locks behind him. And he's got to chase down the stupid cat. And now he can't get back in the in in the apartment, so he's like holding on to this cat. Well, and I love how he keeps asking people, like, like he asks the neighbors, like, "Hey, um, this is the Gorefines. Can you just like hold on to it for me?" And they're, they're like, like, "You insane!" And then he asks the elevator operator, and I love his his excuse, like, "I have to operate the elevator." Like, yeah, I know, but can you just hold on to the cat? Well, then who's going to operate the elevator? I have to operate the elevator. Okay. And this leads to um, one of the fun things uh, in the movie is his conversation with his secretary or whatever over the phone. (laughs) He's in a lecture. Can I take a message? He goes, okay, I'm Lewin. Lewin's got the cat, okay? And she goes, okay, Lewin is the cat. He goes, no. I'm Lewin. I have his cat. <laughs> it almost sounds like a like a ransom. I yeah. have his cat. No, I'm Lewin. <laughs> He's not the. It's 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 goofy and silly and and so now he and he has to keep track of this cat for a while. He's on the you know on the subway with the cat. He's <laughs> which was 
I thought was very adorable or the cat was watching everything out the window yeah. and just kind of like resting his paws on Oscar Isaac's shoulder and it was just kind of like, huh? Huh? Yeah. And we get to see how, you know, how far away <laughs> Lewin was from where he needs to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, they even mentioned at the end that, or maybe in the in the middle where, where he goes back to the gore finds and um, he has to cycle through his village friends before he gets to the gore finds, right? Oh, yeah. yeah that's because in the he lives so far away, right? Yeah. And the village is where the gaslight is, and that's where he needs to be. Yeah, so so then he, then he loses the cat, which I was like, oh, God. And then finds what he thinks is the cat. Come to find out that is not their cat. And I love this whole time he keeps asking people, like, what's its name? Yeah, and that's that actually becomes very important uh, to the narrative itself, is the cat's name is Ulysses. And Ulysses is Latin for Odysseus, and Odysseus, is, of course, is a Greek tragedy about oh, a, a long journey, right? And that's basically what this movie is. It's a long journey to tragedy, and nothing goes his way, and he's just trying to, you know make it right he's no. trying to succeed well yeah see well, and I knew the cat was very important mm-hmm. um, and very uh, integral to the plot yeah I had the word but then it went okay. away it'll, it'll come back to me but you know because then when he when he brings the cat home in the middle of the movie and has his freak out at dinner mm-hmm. which is so he just, apologized to a lot of people in this movie yeah um which, like I said off mic, is probably one of the funniest parts of the whole movie. Even though I 100% agree this movie is a drama, mm-hmm. that has to be the funniest part. Is Even though Lewin had been told beforehand from Mitch that the cat was a he, mm-hmm. he didn't think to check the cat he grabbed off the street to see if it was a he or a she. So when he brought it home, uh, I can't think of the wife's name, but she's like, this cat... Is not even male, Lewin, and she's holding the cat in front of him like, uh, Sim- like Simba. Yeah. Like, where's the G- where's the scrotum, Lewin? And he's just like, uh, uh. She does a scrotum a few times. Yeah. Yeah, and then the next scene we see is him getting into the car with Johnny Five, and he's got the cat. He's got the cat because they're not going to keep it. It's not their cat, right? Yeah, which made me feel a little bad when he abandoned the cat, but he's just going to eat. John Goodman. Goodman. That's what I said. Yeah. Because Ashley was like, ah, cats can take care of themselves. And I was like, yeah, he'll just probably just eat John eat Goodman. John Goodman, because John Goodman, he's dead for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the whole deal with the cat, right? The whole well, deal with the cat. And, and we even get a little nod to, you know, that sort of Odysseus story or the Ulysses story where he walks by the movie theater and it's homeward bound. Huh? Right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, isn't that after he hits a cat like on the way back to New York I mean it was um, it was a while after that began. but yeah you know and I felt like that was also very symbolic is that he hit a cat of course we don't know what kind of cat it was no. we don't know if maybe it was that cat there's no way it was yeah, that cat that would be that I would feel like that the the uh, suspension of disbelief in the movie would be gone and yeah. like, like no that's no but you know it's so symbolic because he watches it slunk off to the woods mm-hmm. probably to die mm-hmm. um 
And it's almost, I think that's when he has the realization, like, I need to give it up. Yeah, I, and, you know, he also, you know, drives by Akron, uh, where mm-hmm. his son supposedly might be. Son or daughter. Or daughter, you're yeah. right. His child might his, be. Yeah. He's about two years old by now. Um, and we sort of, I, I thought for a second. He, he was, was going to. Yeah, he was going to go off to Akron. But I'm like, eh, he probably won't because why? <laughs> right? Yeah. That's not. Uh, that's, that's not, not who a, he is. No, that's not a Lewin Davis thing to do is go. Yeah. Is is drive in the direction of responsibility. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even want the responsibility of a cat. Well, not only of a cat, but to even just like have his own place. Yeah, know? that's true. Yeah, I yeah. There's so much couch hopping in this movie. A lot. Yeah. Especially when he's testing out uh, Al Cody's couch to see if it's comfortable. Because like, he is a connoisseur. Yeah. Of couches. Um, and I think the goal finds uh, treat him the best. Yes. With the couch. Which is so crazy because at the end of the movie, he's got nowhere else to go because uh, he can't stay with Gene and Jim. And he go well, I guess it's assumed that he can't stay with Gene and Jim again. Mm-hmm. So he goes to them and they are graciously allowing oh, him yeah, to stay. I mean, like, like nothing. And even the wife apologizes to him about what happened at dinner. And he's like, you're apologizing to me? Yeah. And I think that's probably the most sincere moment mm-hmm. for him is that she's apologizing. And he's like, no, like you, you have no reason to apologize. Now, this is a great segue because I'm going to disagree with you and say really? that his most genuine moments are when he's playing. And so uh, let's go ahead and let's talk about some of the performances he does. Yes. Um, because we get a sense of... You know, his, his level of, you know, performance. In the very beginning, he plays Hang Me, Oh, Hang Me, right? Mm-hmm. Which, as I told you off mic, is a, a f- awesome song. But then when you see it in the context of the film, you're like, wow, this is really depressing. It's really sad, right? Most most of the folk songs are actually very sad. Even yeah. the, especially the death of Queen Jane is really sad. And, you know, Shoals of Herring is really sad and all. But I think, you know... And shout out to my boy, Zach. Zach is a big fan of the show. I know he listens, and I know he's listening now. And he said something uh, to me when I told him we were going to be doing Inside Lou and Davis. He was very excited. And he texted me because he was re-watching it also. And he was like, man, when he is singing Death of Queen Jane and Shoals of Herring, it is the most human thing I've ever seen. And he is exactly right. Yeah, especially when he... Uh, sings the song to the, the the shoals of herring to his dad. Yes, and all he can say is just wow. Yeah, because I th- I think even he knows like wow that was I did good. I mean yeah that you know and you know he's just he, he's trying to mend that relationship there mm-hmm. right with the shoals of herring right, um, but I think the most the most painful is when he's singing fairly well at the very end, right? Yes. He is putting all of his pain, all of his anger, all of his sadness into fairly well, right? Yeah, because I guess it's implied that he and his friend Mike sang it all wrote the, time. the song. That, yeah. Or, you know, or would perform it. it all the time, right? It was, um, it was even implied that it was their title track in there because it was If I Had Wings was the name of the album that mm-hmm. they had done and you could tell that was 
that was a connection that they had together, right? Right. And now he has to sing it alone. And it's even different when he sings it alone. He doesn't sing it exactly the same way that he would sing it with Mike, mm-hmm. right? He he changes the words around. He changes the melody. He changes, you know, it's a lot sadder when he sings it, yeah. right? And that's extremely important, right? And it's sort of, you know, this cathartic moment for him at the very end because he's going to put his heart and soul into this performance. He's not going to give up. He's going to keep going. And then we're like, we're really proud of Lewin at that moment. And then he gets the shit beat out of him in the alleyway. Yeah. (laughs) And, And, you know, and then we realize, oh, okay, he's still, I mean, he's still not a great person, you know? Yeah. Um, well, uh, where apparently that the end of that is uh, the extended version of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess in the regular version it cuts before that. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, but uh, well, and I and I felt like another thing I feel like was kind of a not necessarily a defeat for him, but you know, like you're saying, he puts his heart and soul into this performance. And then right before he goes out back, Bob Dylan, a very young Bob very Dylan. Very young Bob Dylan. I'm assuming in the early phases of his career gets yes. on stage. Because uh, in the in reality, that's when he would have been in New York. Yeah. Right? Um, he's 61, 62, and that's when he started. So. Um, but, um, but, you know, and it's almost like a nod to the audience, like, he's not going to make it. Because. Because here's Bob Dylan. Because there's Bob Dylan, and he's going to make it. We know that. Yeah. We know about it, and he's actually singing a, um, a it's not the same song, but it's very similar to the song that Lewin just sang, mm-hmm. uh, also Fairly Well is in the title. Um, and <laughs> we can even see uh, Lewin kind of look at him and like, dude, what the hell? <laughs> you know what no. I mean? Like, dude. I but, just, okay. But I felt like, I felt like it was really Joan Ethan saying like, hey. He's not going to make it. No, and a lot of those people don't, right? No. They're going to be playing the gaslight their whole life, right? And Lewin's probably going to be one of those. Yeah. Or, you know, probably was, you know, who knows. Mm. Um, but I just, I loved the movie, you know, it was, it was very, it wasn't depressing at all. I mean, there's moments that are depressing, but it definitely was a drama for me. Yeah. You know, because all of his interactions never end well. You know, you know his interactions with Gene don't end well. The only interaction he ever has that ends semi-copacetic is when he's with Jim um, recording that song mm-hmm. um, because he makes money out of it. Right. And I think that's the only time he's ever had good interaction, you know, when he threatens John Goodman and John Goodman... Oh, it goes into that long <laughs> spiel about practicing Santeria and the Which dark arts. You would call it the dark arts. Oh, it's amazing. I will say, John Goodman is probably one of the best actors who can monologue like that. Yeah, because uh, I mean that. I mean, because I when I was looking for the quote for what I want to title this episode, I was on IMDb and they had his quote there, and it's long. It's a yeah. paragraph. <laughs> I wonder if he was able to memorize the whole thing. I had to. Because I, mean, I think it's one shot, so he had to. No. Um, but uh, but even with, you know, like we were kind of talking about off mic with Bud Grossman, you know, I mean, Bud is probably the more amicable 
interaction. Yeah. Because I mean, he's he's not doing it out of place of, oh, I don't like you. No. He's just he's doing a business transaction, right? Yeah. And he's even offering him a chance to make money for him, right? And with him. But, but Lewin wants to no. he wants to be solo. Because I mean the whole movie really we're getting a feel of how important Mike was to him. Right. Yeah. And the fact that he's gone now, he doesn't want to do it with anybody else. It's either himself or nobody. Yeah, because he even says to Mel, you know, like, because Mel says, well, it's not connecting as well, the solo album. And he's like, well, I don't understand how, you know, we weren't really that big as a group before Mike died. Right. So I don't understand how it's not connecting. Right. You know, and and I agree, like, he... he it, it's either myself or... Or nobody. No deal. I'm not... Yeah. I don't want to do music with anybody else. I just want to do it with Mike, and I can't do that. I can't do music with Mike anymore, so it's just me. You know, and and he takes that rejection very well. I mean, I'm sure inside he was screaming, but, mm-hmm. you know, on the outside he was like, so is that it? No. Okay. Well, thank you. And, and I he, just... I loved his response to Grossman saying... You should get back together with your partner. <laughs> He's like, that's good advice. That's good advice, yeah. <laughs> and it's... Oh, man. Because he's not going to sit there and be like, well, he's dead, so... I yeah. Can't. And it's it just... I still just don't understand how they see this as a comedy. I see how they see some things as a comedy. Well, yeah. Because, like, his little quips at the at the dinner party with the gore finds to that guy. <laughs> he's about to play. He goes... This is the early one, so this guy will like it. <laughs> he only does early music, right? Whatever the hell that means. Right? Yeah. It was early. Yeah, you're going to laugh. Right? Well, and then, like, you know, when he when he asks the guy, like, oh, what's, you know, like, so, like, his last name was, like, Greenfung, and he's oh, like. Oh, yeah. He's like, what, like, hyphenated? No, just one word, Greenfung. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> like, the dumbest shit ever. <laughs> and, and the guy's, yeah, like, even, I mean, like, huh? Yeah, I, he's, just, he's not afraid to. But, and we, we know he's not afraid to just speak his mind because he's not afraid to ask to sleep on the couch. I mean, that's the most human... I mean, to me, I would be so ashamed and I wouldn't want to ask anybody for anything. Yeah. And so once you cross that, he's just like, that's a stupid fucking last name. You know? And he's... I don't care. Right? Yeah. The only time... The only... I feel like the only people who keep him in his place are Gene and his sister. Mm-hmm. They're the only people that keep him from going over. Yeah. Um, Gene a little bit more harshly than his sister, right? Joy, but Joy I feel like really knows how to keep him in place. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. His interactions with his sister are, you know, I mean they're they're not very close, right? Mm. There's a sense that they used to be, right? And you know. Now that Lewin is pursuing this music career, he's sort of left his family behind. Yeah, and, and kind of the same, you know, relationship with their dad. Because when he calls him dad, she's like, "Oh, you are we calling him that now?" Yeah. Because even then, you know, apparently for her, right, it's also a very open wound, right, as well. And so the fact that he even went to go see his dad is strange, mm. right? And you know, obviously he told his sister because she asked. <laughs> You know, how's dad? Yeah. You know? Well, she says, how is he? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, and that was sort of the, the punchline, the sort of to undercut the the emotional connection they had 
um, when he's playing Shoals of Herring is um, he has to be cleaned, <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, that's sort of the that moment that sort of undercuts that. So he's, he's like, well, forget it. You know, and he goes and grabs an orderly. An orderly. <laughs> Oh, and something that else I loved is that like he's also not really close with his nephew either. Yeah. And and I love his nephew even wrote out on his etch a sketch, "Welcome Uncle Lewin." Yeah, which should must have taken forever. I know, I, you know, dude. All I don't I know can, if anyone out there has ever played with an etch a sketch, but that would have taken I don't know an hour or two. And you always make his squares with etch a sketches. Oh, it's so hard, man. Yeah, but um. And you could never make a perfect square. You always miss it by like a centimeter, and you're like, "Oh, got to do it again." Yeah, you got to shake it and do it one more time. God, I hate sketches. But, uh, but even when he's all like, I don't remember the nephew's name, but he's like, "Your uncle's a bad man," and he's like, "I know." <laughs> oh no, he says, "Okay, okay, yeah." You don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> but man, I mean, I, I I did see some of the comedy in it, right? But, yeah, but the more and more he just got beaten down, I'm like, how is this funny? To them, that's what's funny, is he can't catch a break, right? Yeah. I mean... I disagree, but, I mean, I also didn't make the movie, so th- I mean, these, these are also the same guys who threw Steve Buscemi in a wood chipper. That's true. Now, I do think Fargo's the funniest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fargo is hilarious. Now... Definitely a future episode because I love Fargo very, very much. Um, that one, I would say, I don't count it as a comedy, Fargo, only because I've sworn off Coen Brothers comedies and I don't want that to count because I love Fargo. But it is very funny. They also did a serious man, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do they consider that one a comedy? Probably. So do they consider most of their movies comedies? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I, probably not True Grit, not No Country for Old Men, but God knows. Maybe not Miller's Crossing either, but that isn't to say the other ones aren't. Well, I mean, I definitely felt like The Big Lebowski was yes. fully intended to be a comedy. Yes, that one's a comedy. Um, I mean, this is a sidebar from the movie we're talking about, but you know, I had a realization a couple of years back that that movie would not exist if those guys if you really think about it the movie would be over if the if the ruffians went to the correct Lebowski oh right because <laughs> then the dude would have not had this whole adventure yeah, yeah. but blood simple either that's not a that's a not com- a comedy no, okay. no not even a little bit but um it's disturbing Blood Simple's a great movie, by the way. But yeah, man. Uh, Inside Lewin Davis, man. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, I knew I was going to. The first time I saw the trailer, I was like, I got to see this movie. Yeah. And I just never got around to it. I don't think we got it in Midland. I don't know. Again, I saw it when it was was on disc, right? It's when I was able to see it. So I don't even think we got it in Midland, but it just... Because me and Ashley both were like, yeah, we're going to go see it. And just time went on, time went on, and we just never got around to seeing it. Yeah. And by the time, I want to say 2016, I was just like, well, I guess I'll never see it then. <laughs> um, I uh, I told Ashley that I will buy it on Criterion Collection. That is non-negotiable. Yeah, no, I, because I, I have no Criterion. Because I saw it, the cover, and I was like, I fucking love that. Well, yeah, and it's also got, like I had mentioned last week, it has the uh, the promotional concert they had done. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and, you know, it's Oscar Isaac, it's Marcus Munford, it's the Avid Brothers, Jack White. I mean, Ooh. a ton of people are there playing 
old folk songs and folk versions of popular songs that they are known for. That's that's cool. So yeah. I I do recommend. I and love it's, the concert. It's on sale. It's like twenty seven dollars. Nice Blu-ray. Yep. Yeah, I told Ashley I was like. Um, I want it. And she was like, well, not right now. I'm like, well, obviously not right now, but I'm, I want it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I, I do recommend, obviously, Criterion, I know you're never going to give me money, but uh, I highly recommend anything on the Criterion collection. They really know what they're doing over there. Yeah. So. Um, they're going to do Parasite soon, right? Yes. Parasite and uh, Memory of a Murder, uh, they're doing, and then they're also doing The Irishman. So. Still need to watch that. So good. Future episode, The Irishman. Well, uh, would you like me to talk about next week? Please, because I can't. Because I know you don't want to. Well, and because I literally can't. So I've never <laughs> seen it. I don't know anything about it. Uh, just go, go, so, do it. So um, I told Jeremy that I wanted to kind of keep with a, a serious movie because I tend to want to do comedies or, you know, comic book movies. But I was like, you know, let, let's keep with some seriousness. And I gave Jeremy the option. To pick from three. And the the deciding factor was, do you want to see Bill Murray or do you just want to hear Bill Murray's voice? And he was like, well, I want to see Bill Murray. Of course, I mean, who doesn't want to see Bill Murray? Yeah, I do love me some Bill Murray. And no, I know what you're thinking, people listening. It's not Lost in Translation, which would have been a great option. <laughs> uh, it is The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Yeah. That's right. I'm finally getting Jeremy to watch a Wes Anderson movie. Um, for people who've been listening since season one, I love Wes Anderson. His Jeremy says it perfectly all the time. I just don't vibe with it. I don't vibe. I mean, he's a great visionary director. You know, people really connect with his stuff. I'm going to try. Dude, I, so I vibe with it, obviously. Obviously. Uh, I mean, I have Bottle Rocket, uh, The Life Aquatic, and Fantastic Mr. Fox, all in Criterion Collection. I had, I, you know, I had always assumed, because I, I do have some of it on my shelf. I do have some of his movies on my shelf. Um well, and they're just now doing uh, Grand Budapest on Criterion, yeah. and I gotta get it. I'm like, I do have that one. I do have. I think I have Life Aquatic, and I have Fantastic Mr. Fox. I, you know, because I ask people, I go, listen, if I wanted to start with these, which, and they're like, you might really like Fantastic Mr. Fox, and I was like, okay, and so I bought that one. Um, and I found some others like in a pawn shop, two bucks. And I was like, if I have to watch a Wes Anderson movie, it can't cost me more than that. So. so I, Fantastic Mr. Fox was the first movie I'd ever seen of his. Mm -hmm. I thought it was great because mm -hmm. the, the stop animation is so different. Yeah, it's and that's what I that's was what drawn I to. I was like, that is that is unique. That is different. And for stop animation film, it's framed so beautifully. Um, he does keep with the very tight knit frames. Yeah, I mean it's almost mathematically geometrically apparently perfect. it actually it is. Yeah. Like I saw a post where people were like, yeah, he's specifically yeah, framing it's, things. It's perfectly in the center, right? And things are yeah. So I mean yeah. that I respect, that I like. But and then uh, the second one was Grand Budapest, which at the time was his most recent movie, mm -hmm. 2016 I believe. Um and me and Ashley saw the trailer. We were like, what is this movie? We were at Walmart. I saw it on Blu-ray. I was like, hey, do you want to get it and let's watch it? And she was like, yeah. 
and we both fell in love. And after there, I fell down a rabbit hole. And every single movie I've seen has been awesome. His most recent one, Isle of Dogs, is amazing. Um, it also, is stop motion. Stop motion. And it is not a kid's movie. Um, it's PG-13, but it is... I mean, which some kids can go see, but it does have a lot of more adult content. Mm-hmm. And I know I talked to someone, they're like, then why did he make it stop motion? And I was like, because that's the only way he could have told the story. Because the dogs, what I what I love is all of the humans, because it takes place in Japan, all of the humans speak Japanese. Mm-hmm. Except for one American character, and then they have a translator. But there's no subtitles. No, That's interesting. No nothing. But then what's funny is they say, but then the barks have been translated in English. <laughs> and so the dogs, we hear the dogs speaking English, but to the humans, they're barking. Right. Um, That's and so you've got you've got the Wes Anderson trifecta. You've got Bill Murray, Jeff Goldblum, uh, Edward Norton. Oh, shout out to Jeff Goldblum! I think at his most Goldblumiest, I mean, he, there's there's nothing wrong with Jeff Goldblum. I no, love Jeff Goldblum. Absolutely, not. he's he's the best. I think he to me his most Jeff Goldblumiest uh, is when he was in Ragnarok. Oh, yeah. Um, and he Taika Waititi was just like... He went dude. full Goldblum, and I love that. You know, I love Jeff Goldblum. You know, he, he has gone on record. So the, the character of the Collector um, is brothers with Benicio Del Toro's character. Um, oh, no, no, no. He's, he's the master. Mm-hmm. No, shit. What's his character? Benicio is the Collector. That's right. And he is... Jeff Goldblum's the... The the Grandmaster. I knew I was in the ballpark. Well, their characters are actually brothers. Oh, that's fun. And Jeff Goldblum has apparently openly said that he would love to do a movie just him and Benicio. And Benicio's like, yes. Because Benicio, I've always loved that character as the because he's so eccentric and so out there and so nuts. And pairing those two together, I'd see that. Yeah. Um, I would want either a Disney Plus show or a three-hour movie of just them... (laughs) Doing nothing. Like, they could literally just be sitting there. Or family reunion. They should do Dan in real life, but with Benicio Del Toro and Jeff Goldblum, but just them. Who would be on the stack of pancakes? Both of them. Okay. Sharing the stack of pancakes. Uh, Anyway, uh, so Life Aquatic, Steve Zizou, next week. Um, Jeremy, would you like us to play the entire song at the end? Yes, I would love that. Yes. So, I know in the beginning we played a snippet of... The Marcus Munford and Oscar Isaac fairly well. This will just be Oscar Isaacs at yes. the very end. And yes, I would love to play the whole song. Yes, we hope you enjoy that and we will see y'all next week. If I had wings like Nora's dove, I'd fly the river. To the one I love Fairly well Oh honey Fairly well The woman I love Is long and tall She Like a cannonball Fairly well 
Nadie va 